Lord, for you are truly the most infinite, the most holy, the most righteous. We thank you, Lord, that even in this, O oh Lord, that you draw near uh, to your people, O oh Lord. You have told us that this would be a household of prayer, a household where we speak to you and you speak to us, O oh Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity each and every Lord's Day and even now, O oh Lord. We pray, Lord, that as we continue on in our worship, that you will allow us, O oh Lord, to not be distracted, to have our hearts, our minds, our souls, our whole bodies, O oh Lord, engaged with all the things that you are revealing in this scripture. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will lift us up, but not only lift us up, that you would draw near unto us, and that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be lifted up in our hearts, O oh Lord. May he get the glory in our meeting, and may he get the glory as we uh, consider this passage. We pray for illumination from the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to have our hearts uh, receive all the things that you bestow upon us in this passage. May you, O Lord, increase, and may we, O Lord, decrease. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Please rise as we hear a word of the Lord. The exhorted text will be uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 to 11. Uh, we will conclude this uh, treatise that Apostle Paul is giving about the day of the Lord uh, to these Christians that are in Thessalonica. But I will back up just for context um, up to verse 13 of chapter 4, because this is all one understanding about the day of the Lord, that they were to realize and be and edify one another and comfort one another with this teaching. So starting in chapter 4, verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left unto the coming of the Lord, will not pre precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are the children of light, 
children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. For those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Amen. Please be seated. As I said, as opening up, this is a a continuation of uh, understanding and a teaching of the day of the Lord. This was something that these Christians that are in Thessalonica were having trouble in their day understanding. And it's to be expected because as we have learned after going through this epistle, these are Gentiles. Um, These were Gentile uh, in Thessalonica. They did not, they weren't Jews who were informed about the Old Testament scriptures. And so God called these Gentiles out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And they turned away from all their idols to serve the living God. That's where it says in chapter one. And so it's understandable that these Gentiles would have a uh, kind of a, a struggle with understanding the resurrection, the resurrection. Um, and Paul is answering some of their uh, concerns. For instance, those who are dead, when Christ comes and those who are dead, what's going to happen? Are they going to miss? Are they going to miss the, the glory of our Savior? And Paul says no in chapter 4. He encouraged them that they will rise first. He, they will be risen from the dead. And, they will, and then we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We will meet them in the air. And that's when the Lord Jesus Christ will reign and we will reign along with him. And so the, those who are dead in Christ will not miss anything. And then last week, well, last month, we were looking at another concern about the day of the Lord. Um, and that's concerning the times and the seasons, the times and the seasons. That is the exact time, the exact day when the Lord will return. And Paul had to correct them and say, as for the times and seasons, you, that is not to be a concern. Because you know, because Paul taught them, you know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And even as we discussed last, last month, that's pre- it was present tense. He actually said the day of the Lord comes in the thief, like a thief in the night. And that is what they were to understand. And basically what Paul was saying, that day people will be shocked and surprised. They will be shocked and surprised because they will be screaming and looking at the peace and security that the world is offering. It's a complacency. They were not concerned about the day of the Lord. They loved the peace and security that, they, that the world was offering. And that's why they, they were shocked. They will be shocked. There will be a surprise. 
And so that's why I titled last, week, last month, The Day of the Lord for the Ungodly. But the title of this sermon is The Day of the Lord for the Godly. Because that day of the Lord is not like a thief in the night for us. Because a thief is not welcomed. We as God's people, we welcome our Lord. He is not interrupting the peace and security that this world is offering uh, for us because we are not looking at that. We are waiting for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that day is a comfort for each and every one of us. And that is why the title of this sermon is The Day of the Lord for the Godly. So the teaching that we are to come away with is that the day of the Lord will not be a day of surprise and judgment, that is, eternal judgment and going into the hellfire. It will not be a day of surprise and judgment for the godly. They must continue to be watchful and spiritually sober while comforting and edifying one another with their sure hope of salvation. That is the teaching that we are to go away with. Point number one, you will see in verses four to five, the day of the Lord will not be a day of surprise and judgment for the godly. Point number two, the godly must continue to be watchful and spiritually sober. You will see that in verses six through eight. And point number three, the godly must comfort and edify one another with their sure hope of salvation. And that's verses nine through 11. So point number one, the day of the Lord will not be a day of surprise and judgment for the godly. Verse four says, but, and it's referring to what happened, what's going, what's going to happen for those who are before, who I mentioned before, those who are unbelievers. He's saying, but for the believer, you are not in darkness. Brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are children of light Children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. The thief's arrival at night leads Paul to deliver another metaphor. You know, the thief is a metaphor that Paul uses about the day of the Lord. Now Paul is going into more metaphors. Night, day, light, darkness. All these things that he is, is specifying to convey a truth that we are people who belong to our God. And so he uses even more metaphors. And Paul, again, he knows his Old Testament. He knows his Old Testament. Isaiah 2, verse 5. This is something that is revealed even in the Old Testament. The house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the what light of the Lord. Isaiah 60, verse 19 through 20. The sun shall be no more light by day, for nor by brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. And so... Even in the Old Testament, as Paul is a student of the Old Testament, he brings these concepts of light, darkness, a day, night, all these things into and in teaching the Thessalonians this type of metaphor that's revealed through the scriptures. 
which is interesting enough, as I said last month, the, this letter uh, given to these Christians in Thessalonica do not contain an explicit reference uh, to the Old Testament. Why? Because they were Gentiles, and there were some things they weren't familiar with. But Paul alludes to the Old Testament and helps them to understand these things. And so, this, this, this use of light, day, night, uh, light, darkness, is used by many, in many passages of the Old Testament. Darkness here, as we read, darkness here is to be taken, again, metaphorically. Metaphorically for what? Sin, misery, ignorance. That is to be in darkness, to be ignorant of the things that are around you. And it's spiritually ignorant, it's spiritually darkness. It's, it's spiritual darkness that they, are in, that they will be in if they follow into the traps of the world. And that's what the metaphor is, is specifying, sin, misery, and ignorance. Now, some see, when, they, when you look at this, some see as darkness as moral. It's like you're, you're living in darkness. It's like a moral living of pursuing all types of sin and things like that. That's true. But then some people look at this darkness as being ignorant, especially about the things of the Lord and the day of the Lord. Which one is it? It's both. It is both. I've said it, I've said it one time, um, and the conduct and how you live your life reflects exactly what you know. In other words, theology is never just theoretical. It's always practical. And And it brings a practical inference on your life. And so what you know reflects on how you live your life. Your conduct will reflect what you know. Paul brings this out in another letter, in a future letter, by the way, it's the, the letter of Romans. You may say, well, Romans is the first letter in our Bible. Well, <laughs> it's not arranged by order. Actually, this may have been the first letter Paul has ever, ever wrote to a church, uh, at least what we got in our Bible. It could be Galatians, but some, most people will say uh, this, this letter to the Christians in Thessalonica. But in another letter, Paul brings this inference in. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 13. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of what? Darkness and put on the armor of what? Light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. That is Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 13. And so Paul brings this out in other letters. Now, these Christians in Thessalonica did not need for fear to to be upon them about the second coming. Why? Because they are children. They are children of the light. And another translation would say sons of light. And I think that actually fits better 
because sons inherit something. And that's why we're called sons of God. It's not that the Lord has, it's not just that the Lord has allowed us to be born again and exercise our adoption as, as his sons through prayer and, and living a godly life unto him. Part of being a son is also being an, in having an inheritance, inheritance of what your father gives unto you. And so, yes, you are children, or better yet, sons of light. You see that in verse 5. He says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. Now, these sons that are in Thessalonica, these children of God that are in Thessalonica, they share the same light. And what does light symbolize? Righteousness. Righteousness. It's a metaphor for righteousness and knowledge. Knowledge of our God and knowledge of especially the arrival of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this should not shock you if you know your Bibles. Again, John chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus uses the same language. While you have the light, that is me, believe in the light that you may become what? Sons of light. Jesus even also alludes to this, comparing and contrasting darkness and light in John chapter 3, verse 18 to 21. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but what? People love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What Jesus is describing is the inner workings of unbelief amongst God's people, amongst those who are unbelievers. He is describing the inner workings. They love darkness. They love being ignorant. They love unrighteousness. And that's, that's why they don't come. That's why they don't come. But verse 20, for everyone who does wicked, te- wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. And then you get this switch in verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. We have fellowship, and then he, then he says, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So God is working in them. That is what is, that's what's clearly seen, that God is in fellowship with them. They are in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are in fellowship with their God. And that is why they are children of the light. And so Jesus identifies the saints as such, children of the light, not of darkness. And Paul uses this elsewhere, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness. This is, again, a church that was probably mostly filled with Gentiles. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So, again, this is specified all parts in all parts of Scripture. They are also not just children of light. They are children of what? The day. Children of the day. And this day that he's talking about, 
He's using it metaphorically again. But metaphorically as what? Metaphorically as what? He's using it as a metaphor of the eschatological day. The day of the Lord. The day where the Lord, and there's only one day of the Lord. There's only one day of the Lord where the Lord will come and raise all from the grave. And he will judge all the people in equity. That is the day that we are talking about. There's not many days of the Lord. There are not many resurrections. You get that from a lot of theology around here uh, in our day with, with dispensationalism. But this is the day of the Lord. And we, God's people, these, ch- these Christians that are in Thessalonica are children of the day of the Lord. Paul's point is that they need not fear the day of the Lord, for they are sons of the day. And they are son- and, and as sons, they are inheritors of the day. In other words, this is the day that your salvation has come to you. This is the day that you can rejoice because you are sons of this day when, when God judges the whole world. You are sons and you inherit this eschatological day. And so negatively, as he goes on, they are not of the night. What is the night? The night of darkness where the Lord will judge and send all those who are wicked and, and love the things of the world, who drink the wine of the world that is peace and security. You are not children of the day. Those are children of the night. And that is children like Gentiles. They are Gentiles. They are unbelievers. Unbelievers. But these, gent- these who have come out of Thessalonica do not inherit the night. They inherit the day. So what do we are to learn from this first point? The day of the Lord will not be a day of surprise, or, surprise and judgment for the ungodly. Number one, you are to comprehend the difference the contrast between righteous and unrighteous. Children of the light have no fellowship with the children of darkness. You've heard that before. Where have you heard it? First John chapter five, first John chapter one, verse five through seven. This is the message we, which we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. If we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins, from all sins. So understand the contrast. Are you children of the light? Do you long for the things of the Lord? Do you love reading and all his promises and rejoicing? Do you tremble at the threatenings? By the way, that's part of saving faith, to tremble at the threatenings of the Lord and to receive the promises with rejoice, with, with, with rejoicing. That is being a child of the light. And if that is you, this 
passage of scripture should comfort you so much. Because you, if you have fellowship with God and fellowship with his people, you have no reason, no reason to fear the second coming of the Lord. Because the Lord is yours. And this day is the day of the sons of the living God, where he will show you. You know, we was in our family, family worship with my wife. We were, re, we were going over the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 8, it shows how creation groans for what? The children of God to be revealed, the sons of God to be revealed. Even creation is groaning for this day. Think about that when you see earthquakes and famine, all, all these things. Creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. And if that is you, then rejoice, for your redemption is drawing nigh unto you. But if you have doubts, and then your doubts are the reason, the reason for your doubts is that you have been looking at the darkness, rejoicing in the peace and security that this world offers which is not true peace and security, it's only found in Christ, then what you need to do is repent and turn from looking at the darkness, from being in ignorance, and rejoice with the sons of the living God about their redemption drawing nigh unto them. So that is point number one. Point number two, the godly must continue to be watchful and spiritually sober, just in case... Paul knows that they are following the ways of the Lord, but he gives an exhortation here to continue just in case there are some who would relax. It's like, okay, we're, we're children of light. The Lord is coming for us. But no, Paul gives an exhortation that they must continually be watchful and continually be sober. Verse chapter, I mean, verse six. He says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Keep awake for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The godly are commanded to stay awake, stay awake. If you prefer bad English. You know what the other alternative is. Stay, you are to stay awake. And when he's talking about sleep, it's a sleep, a spiritual sloth, spiritual sloth. And when he talks about uh, stay awake or be watchful, to always be, to always be watchful, um, that's, he's talking about that you are always to be aware of all the spiritual surroundings and especially anticipating the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul draws inferences from the preceding verses and he uses more metaphors. And, he, and the metaphors he uses is sleep, again, sleep, um, and even soberness, drunkenness. He's using those things as a metaphor, as we will see. But negatively, sleep is not proper for the children of the day. Sleep is not proper for the children of the day. Because those who sleep, they sleep at night. Sleep at night. And so, natural sleep 
What, what does natural sleep do? It keeps us unaware of the dangers that are around us. That's what natural, natural sleep, yes, we, we are to sleep. But in our sleep, there, we are unaware of the dangers that are around us, which is amazing how God keeps us and protects us even while we sleep. And so what Paul is saying, do not sleep. He's saying, do not be a sleepy soul spiritually. Understand all the things that are of God and what he's telling you to do. And so he tells us positively to be watchful, that is to avoid evil, avoid evil and have our eyes set on Christ. In other words, Paul is telling them, don't be like others. And that is sleep on spiritual things. In other words, don't drink the world's Kool-Aid. Don't drink the world's Kool-Aid of peace and security, peace and security. So the godly are commanded to keep awake. What they also are commanded is they are commanded to stay spiritually sober. We see that here. We are to be sober. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. What does sober mean? As he is saying, is he just talking about uh, not, do not be drunk? He's using it again as a metaphor. A metaphor for what? Self-control. To have self-control control, to be clear-headed, not letting anything cloud our minds, especially the peace and security that the world offers. Peter brings, up, brings this up, and even in his chapter, even in his epistle, he says, yes, stay awake, be sober-minded, be sober-minded. And that is what exactly what Paul is telling them to do, to be clear-headed, being sober, sober and watchful, which is what he's commanding here, be sober and watchful, are joined together. Why are they joined together? Just like a lack of moderation of meat and drink will make you sleepy and unaware and dissipated, what does spiritual sleep do? It keeps you asleep. It has you asleep unto the spiritual things of God. So Paul is using this metaphor to help them understand. He's saying if you drink and, and, be, and, you're not, and you're not sober in the things of God, you will fall asleep and you will not be ready for the second coming of the Lord. And so that's why he's bringing up this metaphor. And then in verse 7, he said, but those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now, this is a generalized observation. Generalized observation. Those that, those that sleep, they choose the night to sleep. Now, he's, of course, we have naps and the things throughout the day and things like that. But Paul is making a general observation. If you truly want to sleep, you sleep at night. And if you truly get drunk, those, they get drunk at night. Now, Paul and many of the apostles, talk, when they talk about uh, getting drunk and, and, and getting drunk at night, when they, when they emphasize that in their day, people did not publicly get drunk in the daytime, which as a sidebar really shows us how depraved and deranged our age is. Because in our age, people get drunk and they call it day drinking. And it's not just a, you know, having a, a drink after they get off work 
uh, you know, um, you know, they get off early and they have one beer or something like that or one drink. No, they're talking about getting drunk in the daytime in public. And so in this day, that was really frowned upon unless you're part of the hedonist sect in, that, in those days. But for the most part, it was frowned upon. And so that's what he's saying. If you want to get drunk, you get drunk in the night. And so if you are getting drunk with what the world offers, then you are a child of the night and you're not a child of the day. The point is, is Christians, since Christians are not children of the night, that is in ignorance, they are not to sleep under spiritual drunkenness. And what is that drunkenness? Pleasure, cares of this life, sensual love, desires. Again, look at the context. The world is offering peace and security. This peace, this, this, this false peace, this false security, helping you to be complacent and, and enjoying the things of this world. And so that's what it looks like. And man is not always drunk with wine. If you know your Old Testament, Isaiah uh, chapter 29, verse 9. And this is the Lord speaking. He says, astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. And then he goes on to say, I have put a spirit asleep upon you. And that is not literal sleep. This is not literally being drunk. This is not literally uh, having uh, understanding of, of just being blind. This is a person that thinks and does the things of the world. And so it hasn't always has nothing, it doesn't always have anything to do with just having, uh, you know, uh, getting drunk with wine and, and, other, and other things. So he's using this as a metaphor. And what does he say? He says, the way that they are to continue in walking in the light, how is it? Verse number eight, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having what? Put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The Christian must put on spiritual armor. And that spiritual armor that Paul is talking about here is faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. Faith in what's revealed in the scripture and what the Lord has given unto us to believe to believe, that is our defense against all types of temptations and destructions. Love is joined with our faith, making our faith what? A lively faith, a lively faith, a living faith. And hope is the hope of the final, the hope of the final salvation. And so there's other scriptures that points to this. Ephesians 6, um, he, he, he talks about the armor of God. And even, but where did they get it from? Isaiah 59, verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So it's not just, it's the spiritual armor that we are to put on and battle against all the things that this world is offering us. All the things that this world is offering us. 
In other words, this is a war. This is a battle. Each and every day, soldiers have to put these things on to protect their bodies. But we have to put these things on to protect our souls. And we must put on faith, love, and hope. So by application, you are to drink. If you drink the wine of the world, you will become sleepy. You will become sleepy and you will not be ready. Remember, remember the sleepy virgins that we will soon uh, come to in Matthew. Five wise, five foolish. And what's interesting, if you actually read that, when you read that parable, they were all, they all knew about the day of the Lord. Every single one of them knew about the day of the Lord when he called. They knew. But they, there were some that were not ready. They were not ready. Why? Because they fell asleep. They fell asleep spiritually. And so, do not drink the wine of the world. It will make you sleepy. But this is, uh, there's another application, and I preach this to myself. This is an application for all leaders. All leaders. And I preach this to myself. Um, Leaders should not offer a ministry that increases in passivity, spiritual laziness, and dissipation. We are not to offer that for the people. We are not to have you spiritually lazy. That's why we want you to put on the armor. We want you to study the Bible. We exhort you to study the Bible. We exhort you to have family worship. We exhort you and all these things to put on the armor and and strengthen your faith. But if we offer a bunch of programs to keep you sleepy, spiritually sleepy, we are not doing the duty that God has called us. And I would tell you this, do not nominate, do not nominate or vote for officers who will increase your worldliness, no matter, no matter how gifted or talented they are. We are not to have officers nominated in a sense to make us more passive to the things of God, to help us to feel comfortable, to be complacent. This is a war, and we all need to battle against the flesh, and we all need to battle against what the world offers. Final application is uh, in this uh, second point is that we, again, this is a war, and therefore we are soldiers of God. I understand, and, that, and there's a point for us to understand that we are a family, and that is true, but we are also soldiers of Christ, and this is a war, and we must battle and put on the armor of God. We must put on faith, love, and hope, and we must, must put on Christ. The Church of Scotland, the 17th, 18th century uh, church, was one of the best expressions of, of trying to follow the apostolic model. But they ended up falling. They ended up going into uh, in, a, in a spirit of sleepiness. And how did they get there? Because they kept emphasizing that they are just a family and they got so comfortable and they forgot what their duty was. And that is to put on and fight the battle that is ahead of us. Point number three, and it will not take long. The godly must comfort and edify one another with their sure hope 
of salvation. The Christian has a sure hope of salvation. And that is verse 9, 10, and 11. For God has not destined, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul says Christians are destined. And you know that what that implies. Election. They are decreed to, to, to be the children of the day. Paul has, all throughout this epistle, has emphasized election. You can look these up. I don't have time to show you these. Show you these. But chapter 2, verse 12, he talks about the calling, how we are called. Uh, chapter, three, verse, chapter 3, verse 3, he talks about how we are, again, destined for this, destined for, for life. In chapter 4, verse 7, talking about sexual immorality, it says we are called to holiness. So it's an election. We are called by God to serve him. And that is what Paul is bringing out here. He's continuing and already asserting that, that spirit of the, that doctrine of election. God did not allow men to perish by the wrath of his son. The Christian is predestined unto life. And Jesus is coming to give that final act, that final act of salvation for each and every one of us, each and every one of us. This is an act of God's sovereign will, and it is through the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's mentioned here. And that's why it's mentioned his death and his resurrection, which is what we celebrate all the time on the Lord's Day. That's why we're here. Christ is crucified. Christ is risen and Christ is ascended. And that is his mediatorial world for us. He's, we are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. If he had not died and he had not arisen, the heavens, the doors will be shut towards us. And so God elected Jesus to be our savior. He's elected us to receive our savior. And therefore, we are inheritors of the day. And then what does Paul do at the end? He said he calls all Christians at Thessalonica to comfort each other with this hope. Christians are obliged to edify each other for their mutual good. And that is part of fellowship. That is true fellowship, especially with regards to conversating and encouraging one another of the day of the Lord and what our inheritance is. That is how we comfort one another. Now, it's interesting, in verse 10, it says, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now, there are certain commentators who would say that these people, they, Paul is continuing the metaphor of what we have uh, when he's talking about those who are asleep, those who are, in a sense of, drunk and dead in, in regards to dissipation. There are actually commentators today will say that that is the sleep that he's talking about. So even if you are asleep, even if you are asleep when the Lord comes, he's going to save you anyway. Is that what we see with the parable of the ten virgins? They were shut out. They were not ready and they were shut out. So what is Paul saying when he he brings up the asleep and awake? He's bringing back to, that's why I started off with uh, chapter 4, 
Those who are asleep in Christ, those who are dead in Christ. He is coming back for all of us. And that's why chapter breaks and verses are not inspired. It's all one understanding. And where does Paul get this from? He did not get it from himself. It's in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. At that time shall arise Michael. There's that archangel. Michael. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to the shame of everlasting contempt. That's Daniel chapter 12. Verses 1 to 2, talking about, and this is where Paul gets it from, this, this metaphor of sleep and, and those who are asleep in Christ and those who are alive in Christ. We all inherit the Lord Jesus Christ. So final applications. We are to be strengthened in Christ because of the sure hope of our salvation. You all should be encouraged with the strength and be strengthened by the sure hope of your salvation. And you must grow in certainty of that hope. The Lord is coming for you and you must be certain. And you must encourage one another as you are uh, growing in that knowledge of that certainty of hope. And so what we ought to do, we ought to strengthen and encourage each other with this good news. Now, are we doing this? Are we fellowshipping in this way? Are we encouraging each other in this way? And those who are not encouraged, those who are not encouraging one another with this hope, they must repent. We must encourage one another to love the Lord, to wake up and understand the sure hope of our salvation. And the way that we do that is always remembering the death, the burial, the resurrection, the works of our God. And if you have never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Never submitted unto him. You must run to him for your salvation. And that is what we are all saved from. We are saved from the wrath of our God. And we must encourage one another and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And have each other be mesmerized and anticipate the second coming of our Lord. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage and how there is so much here to to give us encouragement. We pray, O Lord, that you would continue to strengthen us and encourage us with the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, O Lord, that you would help us not to be sleepy, help us not to be drunk with the world and what the world offers, but help us all, O Lord, grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, anticipating his second coming. It's in his name we do pray. Amen. Our hymn of response is hymn number 318, Lo, He Comes With Clouds Descending. It's on page six in your bulletin. Please rise. Oh, He comes with clouds descending. 
blessing. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. That's good.